talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, Andrew Gillis, and this is your official game preview pod as Ohio State prepares to play Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on December 29th in Dallas, Texas. This is the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth time since 2000, Nathan, that Ohio State is going to play a bowl game against the SEC. If you had to guess how many of those previous nine they have won off the top of your head, what would be your guess? Five. Let's go. That's your guess. Andrew, previous nine meetings, how many Ohio State wins against SEC teams in bowl games? Six. Both of you are giving the Buckeyes way too much credit. They have won two times. They beat Alabama in the 2014 Ooh. college playoff Sugar Bowl, which obviously they went on to win the national championship that year. And they beat Arkansas in 2010, also in the Sugar Bowl. The other losses are South Carolina in back-to-back years in the Outback Bowl in 2000 and in 2001. And obviously losing back-to-back national championship games to Florida and LSU in 2006 and 2007. Losing to Florida in the Gator Bowl in 2011. And then losing to Bama and Georgia in 2020, the national championship game. And then losing to Georgia last year. So this is going to be the 10th one against an SEC opponent, though. This one, obviously, much like some of the fewer last few before the first two, aren't necessarily for a national championship hopes. And that's just a little fun facts to start this thing off. We've talked about this every which way possible over the last two weeks. We did breakdowns of both Missouri's offense and Missouri's defense. So go look for the pod for those situations. And then we've been talking all week about what players have said. I just think, I just want to take a bigger picture look at things for this game preview pod, Nathan. Outside of obviously just winning the football game, what can Ohio State actually accomplish by winning the Cotton Bowl on Friday night? By winning it, I think that's an interesting distinction because it's not 100% sure that winning it is the most crucial thing. Like, could Devin Brown look really good and play a really good game and um, maybe just the, uh, the the absence of a couple of weapons is enough to make the difference when when Missouri's offense is at basically full strength? You know, how State will be, we presume, missing Marvin Anderson Jr. has had a couple of the guys transfer out. So I think that's maybe what you're looking for the most is momentum based on performance more than momentum based on the outcome of the game. Because I think if Ohio State goes in and in a lot of facets like doesn't play well and then still somehow finds a way to win the game, is that really better than if you see some positive things from a lot of different units? Uh, I, I would say that that's not as important. I think to me, it's more, do you see a spark from Devin Brown? that lets you know that he can be this team's starting quarterback next year? Do you see some glimpses from these receivers that are probably going to be pushed into bigger roles? Do you see some guys on defense, assuming everybody plays, but some other guys on defense that are maybe um, having to step into some bigger roles depending on who is out? Like that. And, and guys who look like they can hold their own. I think that builds more, me- more momentum than if this were a uh, sort of ho-hum game that Ohio State just happens to win at the end. Yeah, I think, and you weren't on this beat yet when Ohio State beat Utah in the Rose Bowl, but that situation was totally different. That was a lot of young guys who we knew were coming back regardless. So you're missing what? Uh, Nicholas Petit-Frere, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Haskell Garrett. That's pretty much it in in terms of people who opted out. But also so many of those pieces were going to be coming back in 2022 and having still meaningful roles 
And so it was more about building for the future. Andrew, this year seems more about, yes, building for the future is important. You're trying to balance building for the future, building momentum into 2024, while also just trying to end things better. Because right now, as we've been kind of talking about, especially when we were doing signing day, Ohio State just kind of needed a win. And it does seem like Ohio State is just in the business of stacking wins right now, outside of just what the scoreboard reads on Friday night. Yeah, th- this is weird because it, it, I mean, if we had done this pod, this game preview pod where we talked about winning and losing and kind of what it means and what you can gain from this, like if we had talked about this the Monday after the Michigan game, we would have probably all sat around and been like, well, you're probably not going to have Marvin Harrison Jr. or Mekic Buka or uh, JT Tumaloao or Jack Sawyer or Denzel Burke. And you could go down the line and you would say they're probably not going to have these guys. So this is a big get the young guys in there, see how they do type of thing. But now you're getting a lot of those guys in the line, right? A lot of those guys are going to play, but it's a weird mix. We talked about this the other day. It's a weird mix for these guys where, yes, you are getting some young guys in. You know, there's going to be a Jelani Thurman sighting eventually. You know, you're going to see him play. You know, you're going to see Dallin Hayden get some, you know, significantly increased reps. There's going to be situations where young guys are going to play, Carnell Tate, but you're also having a lot of veterans come back. So I think there is a way to kind of thread this needle where you can get the best of both worlds a little bit where you know you can look at the situation and say hey we, we need to win the game we like you said we got we need to win Ryan Day said it at his press conference on um on Thursday I had one of those like things where you forget the day of the week again cuz the it's I almost forgot um but it's he said it on Thursday where he goes you know we want to win the game we're going to try and win the game and obviously that's what the head coach is going to say but I thought it was important that he came out and immediately said that whereas instead of saying this is a chance to get some great looks at some other guys. This is a chance to see things we haven't seen before, see how guys step into new roles. Like he said, we're going to try and win the game. So I think you could look at it and say, there's a way to get, you know, Devin Brown involved. And there's a way to get some of these guys involved in ways that they have not played before. That's going to happen. That's going to happen on Friday, but you can also win the game. So I actually think you can thread this needle a little bit and get kind of uh, two things accomplished at once in terms of getting young guys reps, getting them experience for the future, and also feeling better about yourself going into January. I think the most important thing that needs to come out of this game for Ohio State, and maybe some of these decisions will start trickling out as soon as the buzzer hits and then guys are on the field going, oh, I'm coming back or oh, I'm leaving, or maybe guys wait until they get home and the dust is settled and then they make their announcements and whatnot. But regardless of that, Devin Brown's going to be starting his first football game, Nathan. and I think we need to see them like kind of be full throttle with the offense. And I've teetered with that back and forth of like, oh, it's his first start. Should we really be expecting that much from him? Because, you know, first starts are not always great. Well, CJ Stroud's first start wasn't great. Kyle McCord's first start wasn't great. Justin's was, but also it's because he was getting the ball at his own 40 and plus territory all the time because Chase Young and Jeff Okuda were just awesome and they didn't play a power five opponent his first game. But, I mean, for the most part, we think outside of Cade Stover, most of these options that are going to be available to Devin Brown on Friday, that's going to be the 2024 offense, right? Like, I don't know if there's much that's going to change. Now, Emeka, Buka withstanding, everybody else out there, you're expecting to play a big role in literally what they're going to be doing starting a month from now when they start prep for the 2024 season. I think they should just, like, 
fall all the way in into what like the ultimate version of this offense could look like, even if it's not, you know, the best looking all the time, but with Devin Brown and give him like a real look at what he can look like and whether or not he can maximize a group of guys who quite frankly are all going to be here. So I am wondering what version of Ohio State's offense we see. We, we've had this conversation in the past of, is it going to be more Justin Fields? Is it going to be more Dwayne Haskins in terms of the play calling? And I, I think that's the one thing that can be gained the most, if I can wrap this up and kind of bottle this in, is Ryan Day shouldn't have training wheels on with Devin Brown on Friday. I understand it's his first start, but like, there's not a better look at whether or not you think this guy has the potential to be the guy, Nathan, than what we're going to see on Friday with what's going to be at his disposal. I guess, what do, you, what do you think training wheels would look like? What are you afraid that they might do? Not push it down the field that much. Kind of be simplistic with the pass game, you know, rely on the run game a little much. And it's like you get out of the game and you think, Devin Brown, I don't know if I learned that much about Devin Brown in terms of what his ceiling could be, even if it's not all the way there. Yeah, I don't really have any concern that that would happen. I, I, I don't know. I mean, they want to win this game, and I don't think they would play scared to try to win this game. And, and as much as you're right about the weapons being next year's team, I mean, this offensive line will largely be next year's team. This, If Trevin Henderson comes back, he and Dallin Hayden will be next year's running game and that'll be a big part of the offense too I, I imagine that they will utilize the run game a lot on Friday night because um, frankly it's already a strength of this team and Missouri is missing one of its best linebackers so why wouldn't you run mm. the ball a lot like this can't be fully an experiment I think if you go into this game and try to make this some razzle dazzle Devin Brown show with no regard to winning the game then you put yourself in a situation where I don't know if you're, you're really setting him up for success. And then if the team loses the game on top of that, it's sort of a double whammy. I think what you do for a game like this is you, you, you they already have an offense that is tailored to him somewhat. Like they were running plays when he got into games this year instead of Kyle McCord, um, in, in relief of Kyle McCord, when he would play uh, early in the season or late then I, I think you could see some difference in the way they called plays. I mean, especially with things where the, you know, the quarterback is running the ball in particular. Uh, but they also, I mean, he, he threw strikes downfield. He, he hit Carnell Tate for a long touchdown. He hit Brandon Innes for a, a play that turned into a long touchdown. Like they, in games, it didn't matter. They were not afraid to do that. I have no reason to think that that would be a potential issue on Friday night. And I think also the way that Ryan Day has been talking about this, that this is, you know, he keeps saying this is an opportunity for Devin Brown and that um, he needs to go out and, and seize this opportunity. I don't think that just, ha just having him hand it off and do dump offs would be conducive to that. I think they want him to run their offense. Like, you know, as you say, the, a lot of these receiving weapons in particular will be the ones that they have next year. Um, but I think, again, it's more just about putting together a game plan that wins this game and asking him to go execute it. That's what they're going to have to do week by week next year, too, depending on who the opponent is. Do you agree with Nathan, Andrew? Am I a little too out there in that sphere? Um, maybe, but because uh, the thing that I'm, I keep coming back to is that Devin Brown is a few days away from being a third-year player in this program. Like Devin Brown is reaching the point where you look at it and you're like, this guy's in like this guy's not somebody who showed up yesterday, 
right? Like this guy's not somebody who is entering the program like a, you know, like a Lincoln Keenholz where you're like, hey, needed some time, needed a little bit. Let's see what we can get. This guy was a top 50 recruit and he was the number six quarterback in the country, if I'm not mistaken, when he came out in 2022. And then you have the 2022 class kind of washed through like this is the like this is the chance for Devin Brown. And Nathan asked uh, Ryan Day today at his press conference today being Thursday at his press conference where he said, you know, are, are you kind of a ta- taking I believe the phrasing was, are you taking a holistic approach to this you know, quarterback situation or can this one game really kind of prove you something about Devin Brown and, and kind of where the quarterback room should be going into next year? And I think if memory serves, Day kind of sidestepped the question a little bit, but said, you know, Devin's our quarterback right now, and he this is a big opportunity for him and things like that. And he just kind of gave a lot of the coach speak answers. But this is an opportunity for you to see, look, even if Devin Brown is going into a quarterback competition, this like doesn't this give you the best opportunity to see if there is a guy that you're going to bring in to see game reps, because whoever you bring in, like, let's say you bring in a transfer, you're going to have game reps of that dude, right? You're not bringing in somebody who was a backup somewhere else and saying, Hey, you're the starter now. Like you're going to have game reps of that dude. So don't you want game reps from, from Devin Brown? So it's, it's a couple of different things going into this. It's one being look like this guy's going into his third year. or He's about ready to be preparing for his kind of third year with the program this is not the type of player that you can just kind of hold his hand through and say, Hey, let's, you know, let's take it slow. Let's take it easy. I understand it is his first start, but at some point you got to know at some point you got to push the baby bird out of the nest and say fly or not. And we got to know. And, and I think that's where you're at with him because you want to know for portal's sake, you want to know for, uh, for his sake, for the offense's sake, for the program's sake. And frankly, like he would probably want to know too, because let's say Ohio State does bring in a transfer player and anoints him the starter immediately and says, hey, this is the guy who's going to start for us in 2024. Doesn't Devin Brown want game film to be able to show other programs? So I think that this is there's a lot going on here that you would want to prove and say, I can do this QB1 thing. I can handle this. And, and that's where I kind of where I think I'm, I'm, uh, I'm leaning on this. So, yeah, I think you're, I think it's the training wheel is a little bit too a little bit too premature. Just the way that he answered that question, um, he did sort of sidestep it. I asked, is, is this a one game? Does this evaluation change how your room's going to look next spring? Uh, or is it more holistic than that? And he sort of chose to, I think, emphasize only the upside for Devin Brown out of a game like this, like mm-hmm. what he can accomplish if he does play well. And I get it. But the exact quote that he said, once the season is over, we'll kind of figure out where we're at with everything. But as of right now, he's our quarterback moving forward. Now, you can read into that how you want. Do you want to read into the he's our quarterback moving forward part? Or do you want to read into the as of right now part? Because they were both said there's a comma in the middle, but they are connected. So I think there is some... If Devin Brown comes out and plays really well, if Devin Brown comes out and looks like he has progressed beyond what we saw this summer, which was a guy who had some obvious talents, but was had also had some obvious drawbacks in terms of his decision-making, in terms of how loose he got with the ball, in terms of um, just his precision on, on some things. And, and he talked about this on Wednesday. I don't think we went into it very much 
um, after we did interviews on Wednesday, but he, he was talking about how looking back on it, he feels like he was pressing during the competition that when you're splitting the reps and you're the guy who it almost feels like is chasing, even though they were, yeah. it was an even competition. He was the one who had to pass McCord. And then when you get half the reps, then you have to do twice as much with half the opportunity. And I think that this quarterback competition might have come down to which one, which quarterback treated it like that and which one didn't. Because it sounds like Kyle McCord was just more of a, a steady-handed guy and maybe didn't get as caught up in that. And but because he's a year older and has had been through this uh, to another extent uh, before uh, his freshman year, and Brown maybe just got caught a little bit up too much caught up in that. Um, it was it reminded me a little bit of when we saw Kyle McCord as a true freshman in the Akron game, where yeah, the talent is there, but it looks like he knew that. CJ Stroud wasn't playing that well. And if he came out and really torched it, then he could have maybe made a move. And uh, it, the, it, that reflected it in the play a little bit. And so Devin Brown now with nobody looming over his shoulder, regardless of these rumors about the transfer portal that seem to be floating out there. But he's the only guy here that's going to be the starting quarterback on Friday. Like it's his job. And I think that has allowed him to relax a little bit. And that alone, from what they're telling us, what players and coaches are saying, has brought a different version of him to the forefront. All these things that we've talked about before with his charisma and his um, leadership and his personality and all those things people liked. They liked those the day he showed up. They liked him last January. They liked him in April. They liked him in August and September. And they still didn't give him the job because he wasn't a good enough quarterback. He's got to be a good enough quarterback on Friday. And I think they're going to have to just, you know, he they're not talking about running a Devin Brown offense. They're not talking about running a offense that doesn't get them beat. They're talking about giving Devin Brown the starting offense, giving Devin Brown the number one offense, the full offense, and letting him show what he can do with it. I thought that was well said. I'm going to pay attention to the for right now part as a right now part. He says that a lot, though. Anytime he's named a starting quarterback, he's he's always put that caveat of that just means you're the starter for game one. You just got to get through game one. But when you say it with Justin Fields, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. That dude's going to be starter for game 12, just like he was starter for game one. And if you get to game 15, he'll be the starter then too. And it was the same thing with CJ Stroud, even if after a couple of games, it didn't look great. And we were questioning it. Even when we questioned it, he batted it down immediately. And with Kyle McCord, kind of the same boat now i mean if you wanted to be a person who made the case that maybe if devin brown doesn't get hurt and maybe some things change there but for the most part common court was a starter even if it took a couple of weeks into the season for him to officially say it this is going to be the first time where he's going to use those words whether it was on thursday ahead of the, the the cotton bowl or next august when he's officially naming who the starter is for the 2024 season that's going to be the first time where i'm like okay I you you mean it when you say for right now because it can be more of a weak mark because you have options and none of these guys have really proven much of anything. So let me ask both of you this question and I know it's we're heavy Devin Brown focus right now but like that's what everybody cares about man. We know this defense is really good and Devin Brown is the number one question everybody cares about. It's is Devin Brown going to play well and who is going to come back or not? And we're not going to find out the second of those two questions until well after this game is over. So that's why we're talking about Devin Brown so much. Nathan, I'll start with you. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, and what it looks like with Devin Brown as the quarterback on Friday. 
if everything goes right, this happened, and if everything goes wrong, this happened in terms of his play, not because ne- not necessarily everything else, just the way he plays. Well, I think best case scenario is he looks confident and he plays a clean game. And I think worst case scenario is he looks skittish or, and listen, it's, it's his first start in a new year six bowl against a top 10 team from the SEC. He knows millions of people are watching. They're like kicking off the new year six stretch here. There's a big spotlight on this game. And he doesn't have Marvin Harrison Jr. to bail him out, which is a nice thing to have, I think, from watching this team this year and last year, but mostly this year. Um, so uh, let's not expect it to come out and just be a laser show. So, And I think there's going to be some natural um, butterflies. There's going to be some natural. Like I, 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 would be, I would be surprised standing here right now if he didn't turn the ball over. I'm almost going to say that. Like, and it's not because I think he he will come out and play bad. I think it's just because, like, circumstances, his style of play, et cetera, could lead to a turnover on Friday night. Um, but I think that if he looks like he belongs out there, and I think that's, I think, a, a big, I think that's important. Because I think when we saw him in games, even during this season, I thought you saw a difference between how steady Kyle McCord could play and where he was in terms of his consistency still, even into the season when he was in mop-up duty or whatever. And I don't know that that's his fault because he wasn't getting the full-time reps. There's been a lot of talk this week about how from just a comfort level, a leadership um, situation that if you're not the dude, it's hard to like pretend you're the dude and it's hard to carry yourself with the same swagger and confidence. And now that's been happening for the last month by all accounts. So I think what we want to see is just a clean game, not, not a perfect game. I don't, so when I say clean, I I think I mean just not a sloppy game. I think you can have a turnover without playing a sloppy game. And I, so I think we need to just have a, a, a steady game uh, from a, from a ball control standpoint, from a decision-making standpoint, show us that you've made progressions from the guy that we saw in the spring and summer who would flash the talent, but still always had that sort of lingering problem there. Uh, Show us that that's been sort of completely washed out by how this situation has changed for you. Andrew, what about you? Let's start with best case scenario of what you think. Everything goes right with Devin Brown. For best case scenario, I think, the ceiling is higher than what you saw for the previous 12 games for Ohio State this year at quarterback with Kyle McCord. I think that that would be that would be the best case scenario. Whether or not he hits it, I think there there's obviously some middle ground, right? You can't there you're obviously not going to see potential if you just go out there and and lay a dud. But I think if you see the potential from Devin Brown, I think you're going to be feeling really good about where this offense is because that means he's doing good things. That means he's making good reads. That means he's doing the things that you had thought all along with Devin Brown was kind of the reason to go to Devin Brown, right? Because when we talked about this quarterback competition between Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, we've said this time and time again, and everybody feels like knows it. It's McCord, the steady, Nathan just mentioned it. McCord's the steady hand, you know, doesn't make a ton of mistakes, you know, doesn't really do a ton of things like that. He's just kind of even keel and this and that and the other. And Devin Brown is the one where theoretically, like there's more mistakes, the floor's lower. That would be the worry. So the worry for me with Devin Brown would be that, but the the benefit and the, the best case scenario is 
that you that he gets out there and it just looks different. Like the running element of this offense gives you something that clearly you had been missing. If you see him make these throws where even it could end up in a drop. And and I you can't have every throw end up in a drop, but if you make a good deep throw and you see him roll around the pocket a little bit, look confident, do good things. The process is good, right? I've mentioned this before. Like the process sometimes is more important than the results. I think you could point to that a little bit and say like, man, imagine if he had Marvin Harrison Jr. in this game. Or imagine Carnell Tate eight months from now making that play, right? Like if you could kind of draw some of those lines with Devin Brown, I think you're feeling great. Where if you see the potential, if you see the ceiling, if you see what he can get to, then I think it's an A-plus day for Devin Brown in Ohio State's offense because that means he did some good things, and that means you're looking at him going, wow, this can be really good. So I was watching like the USC game on Wednesday night against Louisville. They won that game, which I mean, kudos to them for ending their season the right way, given the way it looks this year. I mean, they went 7-5 and five with the regular season and lost a bunch of people to the transfer portal. And it's not about stats. It's not about the numbers at all. Nathan, you like said that. I agree. It's not about the numbers. Because sometimes the numbers are a byproduct of a lot of other stuff that doesn't matter. It's about the decision-making, and it's about how clean and just how efficient it looks. And are you maximizing each play, especially pass plays? But maybe run plays with him, too, because I I think they're going to use him in the run game because they kind of have to. And it's part of the reason why they liked him, so they might as well use it in this game. But Miller Moss is going to be entering, I think, his fourth year. And he looked like it. He looked like an older quarterback who sees the moment and maximized the offense. Does it mean he's going to have 400 yards and six touchdowns every game next year if he wins their battle? No, but I know what it looks like. I know what it can look like if he's maximizing every play and it's the best case scenario. The ball's moving down the field. They're on schedule. He's making the right decisions and he's efficient with his play. You think about Dwayne Haskins when he had to come in in the Michigan game in 2017 he just looked he he didn't look like a dude who was about to throw 50 touchdown passes but he looked it was clean it was efficient and he kept things on schedule and he was moving the ball up the field and driving the ball up the field in a game in an environment that quite frankly is pretty equal to what Devin Brown's gonna go into here right maybe even more so because you're on the road in Ann Arbor and not in a meaningless bowl game in Dallas but I think that's best case scenario is he's maximizing plays. And I, I didn't always feel like Kyle McCord maximized plays. I thought he he would have the weird mistake every so often, but for the most part, he was the floor. But we didn't necessarily always see what the ceiling of this offense could look like with Kyle McCord. And I think that's what a best-case scenario looks like. While for me, a worst-case scenario is basically the reasons why he didn't beat Kyle McCord out for the job. We see, oh, that's why they didn't pick him to begin with. Whether it's the inconsistency or he's not always making the right reads or maybe he's frantic in the pocket and so he's scrambling before he has to and it's just leading to negative plays, Nathan, because there's a reason why Kyle McCord beat him out. And the answer isn't just because Kyle McCord's a year older. There's a reason why Kyle McCord... There was a point where Ryan Day admitted it where Devin Brown moved ahead. And then Kyle McCord took that lead back. There's a reason that happened. And that's worst case scenario is we find out that reason on Friday. Yeah. I, and I just want to caution people that if it doesn't look like that best case scenario, don't. Yeah. Again, he 
there were weeks yeah. during the the weeks during the last stretch of the year where he wasn't practicing because of that ankle injury, or he was barely practicing because of that ankle injury. I mean, he was he was really. There were players who were saying like, "Yeah, we didn't really get to see a lot of his development for a couple few weeks there because he was hurt." Like, what do you want us to say? And and now they're seeing, but now they are seeing it. Now they're seeing what they what they're telling us is that when he is in practice, you know, um, Denzel Burke, I thought gave one of the better more not surprisingly like more candid uh breakdowns of what they're seeing from him that he's making better decisions that he's taking better care of the ball like they noticed they're not stupid like they play against these guys like they knew what it looked they knew the upside of it because they saw that in the spring and summer and they also knew the down underside that was undercutting it because they were the ones picking off those passes so so now they they are now seeing that oh it's tougher to pick him off like that it's if Denzel Burke is coming in and saying like oh it's tougher to pick Devin Brown off right now that is an important thing because it wasn't at some point but that doesn't mean he's all the way there I think we just have to be ready for uh for Friday night to be a potential glimpse of where he's going not assuming that he has to be where he would be on uh, September, whatever of next year, ready to to potentially be the starting quarterback for this team. I think it's more about um, giving him a chance to sort of put on display better to better display what he couldn't during this season, and then a new evaluation has to start after that. And I think that's the expectation, right? There's the best case and worst case, but the expectation of what we should see is growth you know some of the stuff seeing some of the stuff that as denzel burke and Emeka buka all these guys were talking about over the last two weeks we want to see that of course and you want to see the flashes of what it could be when it's a full body of work and not hey our starting quarterback just went into the portal and we've got to play a top 10 opponent in 30 days you want to you want to play some ball? You want to play a little pitch and catch out there, buddy? Cool, cool. Also, we have a Heisman Trophy finalist at wide receiver. He's probably not going to play. But you got it, right? You got it. Cool, 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 cool. I, I do want to see the glimpses, though, because that's actually what matters. I mean, we talk the special trait, man. And what I want, we're going to get a chance to see glimpses of it from Devin Brown on Friday while Lincoln Keenholz and Aaron Nolan's going to come up in here and in the spring. They're going to be trying to show their glimpses as well. And then Ryan Day is going to have an opportunity to figure out which one of those special traits maximizes our chances to win a national cha- championship. And more, but more importantly, just beat Michigan so we can you know, <laughs> move on with the steps here. So we're not four games into this losing streak with Michigan. Let's take a quick break there, actually, and then we'll come back and we can maybe talk about a little, couple other things I have questions about before we get into fr- Friday. And then after that, obviously, Tishu will join us as we do our betting the Buckeyes as we do every game. And then after that, you know, Nathan, myself, and Andrew will make our picks. But one more one break before we get into all that here on Buckeyes Talk. Nathan's down in Dallas getting ready to go watch a football game. We're going to be watching it, too. We're just going to be watching it on television while he's covering Ohio State's Cotton Bowl matchup with Missouri. And one more big picture thing I want to talk about. And it's how badly does Ohio State need to win this game just for the sake of the morale of the program? If that's even a thing to you guys, you guys might shoot that down and not think it's a thing, but I think it is a thing because it's just they've been in need of some wins. So let's do this. Let's start with the negative first because we did the positive with the Devin Brown situation. Let's start with the negative. Andrew, how do you view the state of this program if Ohio State loses on Friday night? And where things are headed. It depends on how they lose. Like if, if, if they lose, 
in a way, if they lose close, you know, in a 38-35 type of way, we're just like, you know what, man, like this was two really good offenses. And I know Ohio State's defense had some problems today, but like, man, Luther Burden's just a dog and this and that and the other. And Devin Brown played really well. And you saw a lot from Devin Brown and they just, they lost a good game against a good team in, in a, like, this is going to hurt Ohio State fans to say out loud, but in a manner similar to the Michigan game, I think you're not feeling awful. If you just, if you, cause in a vacuum, and I know it's very stupid to say this about the Michigan game, but in a vacuum, Ohio State lost a good football game to a really good team that might win the national championship on the road when you had the chance to, to win the game at the end. Now you add in the helmets and you add in the history and we all understand where that is. But if you lose in that way, I don't think it's a problem. Like if you lose in a way where the offense just doesn't get off the ground, you lose 27-13, it just kind of looks ugly. Then I think you got some problems. So I, I think the state of the program kind of depends on what it looks like. Because, yeah, they're going to obviously a win would do so much for these guys just in terms of boosting morale and kind of boosting momentum going into the offseason. But I think you can build off of certain things going into the offseason if it goes right, if that makes sense. Like if Devin Brown plays well and Carnell Tate goes for 125 and you get a couple of decent performances from some young guys, you could point to A, B, C, and D and go, okay, well, we did lose. However, A, B, C, and D. And you could do that. If you lose and it look and the offense kind of sputters, I think you got some problems. I, I think you're going to have some not, you don't want to sound too overdramatic, but maybe like crisis of confidence because you just went the whole season where people were kind of skeptical about the quarterback situation. And then you'll have another game where the backup that everybody kind of wanted, if you wanted the backup, that is like, if you were calling for somebody other than Kyle McCord, now this guy looks a little dicey, even though it was just a one game sample size, it's not going to let people feel, or it's not going to let people feel any better. So I think it just depends. And I would look at this and say, that if it's a game where there's positives, you know, a close game or the offense plays really well, you'll be okay. They lose by like seven or more and the offense doesn't play well or Devin Brown specifically doesn't play well. I, I think then you've got some real, real concerns about where things are headed. So a couple of things that I would just have people remember too. Like this is not the same Ohio State team that ended the season. It's not. It's it's not a season starting quarterback. It's not the best receiver in the history of your program. Let's let's not forget how massive of a loss that is for any matchup. It's not a couple other support guys, whether it's Julian Fleming and what role he plays in the run game, Chip Trainum and the things that he could do on the field for you. Like there's other important guys missing, and it could be Tommy Eichenberg missing. We know Lathan Ransom's not playing, although he wasn't at the end of the year either. But we don't know. There could be some other guys out. So this isn't the Ohio State team that went to Michigan. This is a lesser version of Ohio State. So you have to you have to think of it that way first. That this is throughout this year, there was a gap between Ohio State and, and Missouri. Missouri was like down here, and Ohio State was up here, charging to competing to be the top. And because of the idiotic structure of the sport, Ohio State gets bumped down here to the, a team like Missouri instead of don't give me that look. Texas doesn't have to go on the road, and <laughs> Texas gets to lose to worst teams in Michigan and make the playoff. But Ohio well, State has to go on the road, road and beat Alabama. For the, for the record, for the record. Yeah. 
Nathan was yelling at Andrew to don't give me that look because yes. Nathan yeah. already yeah. knows I agree <laughs> with him. Yes. <laughs> Steven's anyway, got to get beyond Steven's that. Steven's got to clarify that argument. immediately. But uh, my point being, uh, that gap has now not maybe evaporated, but maybe maybe evaporated. When you take Marvin Harrison Jr. off the field and you take some of these other guys off the field, um, you switch quarterbacks to somebody who doesn't have the experience. Like it, it might equalize these teams a little bit. So keep that in mind as you're watching this game on Friday night. But the other thing I would say is we know what this looks like because we just did it two years ago. And if you came out of the Rose Bowl in 2021 and you just asked an Ohio State fan, maybe you're a neutral party and you ask an Ohio State fan, you didn't watch the game. You're like, hey, how did that game go? And you'd be like, oh, my God, like Jackson Smith and Jigba and CJ Stroud. I can't even, like what are they going to do next year as a connection? I mean, no, sorry, trigger warning, but it didn't happen. But, you know, that's the thing you would have been first and foremost, right? Like, oh, my God, those guys were amazing. Those guys are going to put up just incredible numbers next year. And Marvin Harrison Jr., this guy barely played this year. Three touchdowns. Like, they're going to move seamlessly right from Wilson and Olave to these next guys that are coming up. And it, even this Abuka guy looked pretty good. Like, he had a little flash. And, like, you could name all these things before you would have named off all these things that you loved about that game before somebody then would have had to, like, stop you and say, like, oh, wait, so, so wait, did you win? Did they win? Like, you might have assumed it based on the way someone was talking, but it wasn't the most important thing that happened in that game. There were things that told you about what that team was going to be the next year because uh, you already knew the defense wasn't good, and Utah scored a lot of points that game, but that was the problem with that team that year that had to be fixed, and they'd already hired Jim Knowles. Like, that was almost... Like how they did in that regard wasn't that relevant to how you're going to think about that team the next year. The change was going to the change was still to come. That whole staff was turning over. And so when I look at this, I think it's important that they win. I'm not saying it's not important that they win, but it's just not a catastrophe if they don't. It's more about getting momentum almost individually, I think, more so than than team wide. The stakes are different in a game like this. They want to win. It's important that they win. But it's kind of important in the same way that, like, in the future, winning a non-conference game will be important. A non-conference Power 5 game will be important to some extent, right? And it's even actually not even that important because it doesn't affect <laughs> where you're going to go beyond that. You know what I'm saying? I understand what you're trying to get at in terms of morale, um, Stephen. But I also think that they know they played well at Michigan. They know they were a touchdown away and they know Denzel Burke had the ball in his hands and the call just didn't go his way. And that they had the ball in McCord's hands with a chance to throw and Denzel or, or Donovan Jackson slips. And it just, it wasn't there that day, but they, they already know that. Uh, I think the loss, the fact that it was another loss to Michigan bothered them more than like how they played or like what they think of themselves. I think there was a different crisis of, something after 21 when you had lost that game for the first time it was your second loss of the season uh Michigan wasn't as regarded even though they were highly ranked at the time wasn't regarded the same way this Michigan team was there were some different things at play there um but even then you know you're playing Utah people don't care about Utah the same way they do about other programs and they certainly don't care about Missouri the way they care about some other programs so I just think it's more about performance than it is about result. I don't know if I agree with you. I, I understand your point, and it's a valid one. I just don't. This program needs some reasons to be excited, man. And and right now, they don't seem all that. That The vibe just hasn't seemed all that great. 
right? And I thought when we were in there for signing day, just the, the reaction Ryan Day gave when Mark Pantone came in there and was like, hey, the Jeremiah Smith thing is happening. It, it, it just felt like a small little window into like, what it's been like in that building, man, since that loss. Uh, and it just seems I, uptight. I and that I think that was very specific to that recruitment. I think that was a lot of that. Like, I don't and I, but I don't know. I've been around this team this week, and we've been around this team the last couple of weeks, and I yeah. don't get that same vibe, at least not now. And I think what has changed that vibe somewhat is that when you lose that Michigan game and immediately after that game, you think everybody's leaving. You think maybe that everybody's mm-hmm. out the door. And then Kyle McCord leaves, and that's a jarring thing. And one of the things that has kind of brought this team back together, frankly, is the way Devin Brown has carried himself and handled himself from what they're telling us. That he's, he, and he, he recognized that moment, that he had to kind of step up and be the guy who brought people together. And you're starting to see, you know, Ryan Day said it today, that you've seen this team kind of rally around Devin Brown through what has been. It has been a rough month. But I don't think that this is a team that if it loses, like, I'm trying to think of an analogy here. Like, the weird game that they won at Nebraska in 2021 when they played that crap and still won, like, you think that would be better mm-hmm. than if they played another game that's like the Michigan game, where you're playing toe-to-toe against an equal opponent and just don't come out on top, but it's a pretty well-played game in a lot of facets? Like, I don't know. I think I would take the second thing over the first thing. I think that tells you more yeah. about the collection of talent that you have to build with going into next year. Yeah, and well, and and I think it's a it's quarterback related too. I think it's obviously very quarterback heavy. Like, I, I think you could convince me of a world, and I, I agree with Nathan where Devin Brown goes out there and four touchdown passes, and he runs for fifty yards, and he does great things with the ball, and you just lose thirty four to thirty one. You're not going to be like hanging your head, going, "Oh my god, it happened again." We have no hope for the future. You'd be looking at Devin Brown. You'd be like, this sucks right now. But look at number 33. Look at who we got. Like, we got we got that guy coming. We got that coming. And, and I think that that is the way I would be looking at this. So I, I think that there are scenarios where Ohio State could lose, but you're feeling better about it, about the program than you are before before the game kicks off. Nathan, you've been down there, so if you if you're telling me that that vibe has maybe switched a little bit, maybe Devin Brown's and the charismatic personality he has is helping that a little bit, and the fact that so many people opted in that probably helps it too. I'll take your word from that. I just know I, I get it, but playing playing maximizing yourself and losing a college football playoff game, and maximizing yourself and losing a non playoff game are two very different things for a program who hasn't lost a non-playoff bowl game since 2014 with Urban Meyer. And they, that all said, uh, 2013, the 2013 season, the 2014 bowl game. I always hate that they do that. But that's the last time they've lost a non-playoff bowl game. And that year kind of ended weird anyway, because you lost in the Big Ten championship game, and then you lost that game. But so much of that talent was young and all these other things. You hadn't been losing to Michigan and all those things just going to place. And so that's my only thing. If they lose, I'm almost wondering, like, what's that vibe? At this point, and maybe it, it's not as extreme doom and gloom as maybe I'm presenting it to be, but I don't think that anyone's gonna go. Yeah, but Devin Brown looked awesome, and we lost. 
So like, what are we supposed to do with that? I, I just think there's, there's always people, coaches always talk about how they use these, even these non-playoff games to build momentum going into the off season when you win them. So what if you don't win that game? What are you taking the momentum? What are you taking and building off of going into the off season in terms of a momentum based situation where you're not going to play another football game with not in, until nine months from now. And you're not talking about a situation where you lost to the eventual national championship champions who and basically played in the uh, central national championship game if we're being honest here with the way georgia tcu that game played out that's not the scenario on the table in this situation so that's the only reason i even bring it up as a concern of if you lose this game and you've lost the michigan game i'm just looking from a, that's why i said morale like what is this team supposed to feed off of for the next nine months but I think that is instructive a little bit. I think the Georgia game can be instructive because I know the stakes aren't the same. But still, you came, we came out of that game saying that the way they played against Georgia corrected or softened a little bit of the way it felt coming out of Michigan. And I feel like the same thing is true here because, again, you have to remember, this is not the same team. Like, Devin Brown could play better than Kyle McCord did at times this year. And it may not even look as good because he won't have Marvin Harrison Jr. to throw to. Like that is such a mm-hmm. huge difference in this game. Such a massive, massive difference. And again, we don't know if everybody is playing on defense. So, and this is a good team. Missouri's a good team. Missouri's going to move the ball. Missouri can do some things. So that's what all I'm saying is that you could have some sort of a, a microcosm of that Georgia game where Devin Brown plays pretty well. And, you know, Ohio State moves the ball and scores points, but doesn't score quite enough points. And Missouri wins by a point. Missouri wins 28 to 27, but you've got a lot of performances that looked good. Carnell Tate, Devin Brown, Trevin Henderson comes back, and then Dallin Hayden's doing some things. And like it, it, it can be a good back and forth game that Ohio State just doesn't win and still give you some momentum into the offseason because everyone like this. I think that is better than if they were to stumble around and win a, a, an uglier game. I think you almost build more momentum that way. I think guys can process that too. I think just this team can process and say, um, you know, they know how good they were. They know what they now can build with going into next year, especially if all these defensive players end up coming back. Okay. Uh, we can agree to d- disagree. And this is high for tech six one four three five zero three three one five, And you can yell at one of us, whoever you think is wrong. Even if you think that if, if you think one of us is absurdly wrong, then yell at us. Six one four three five zero three three one five. Or you could just trial, tell us why you think we're that. right. That'd be nice. That'd be nicer rather than yell at us, tell you th- why we think you're wrong. You just say, hey, I, Andrew, Stephen, or Andrew, Nathan, I agreed with you. Let's do that. Yeah, that'd be nicer. It's the holiday season. Don't be mean. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, sign up for the text. 614-350-3315. We're going to take one more break, and then I'm going to kick these guys off as I do before every game, and t will join us. And then right after that, we'll be back to give our game picks here on Buckeye Talk. And we're back here on Buckeye Talk, Stephen Means, and I'm joined by T-Shoe for one final time this year. It could have been up to 15 times, but, you know, they lost the game earlier this year. They kind of ruined that situation. But we're talking Ohio State versus Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday. And T-Shoe, this line has changed 30 million times as Vegas is trying to figure out who's playing and not playing, as we're all really trying to figure out who's playing and not playing. And as we head into Friday, it seems like for sure – Potentially Marvin Harrison Jr. is not playing. I mean, he's not even practicing. He's just kind of walking around on the sidelines. And then the the other guy that's probably up in the air right now is Tommy Eichenberg at middle linebacker. But everybody else that's here and hasn't transferred out is expected to play. How should people be betting this game? 
Yeah, the the interesting thing with with this line movement that you mentioned is like, okay, Ohio State opens up as a six and a half point favorite. Kyle McCord enters the transfer portal, and then shortly after that, you see the line go all the way through zero to Missouri minus two and a half. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, I think it's probably been presumed this whole time that uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. was not going to play, but we we pretty much get confirmation of that this week, basically. And the line moves back towards Ohio State. Now Ohio State sitting, last time I checked, as a three-point favorite in this game. So I've had some huge swings on this line. I, I I talk about this all the time with betting. People, the the betting market overreacts to individual players. And even as great as Marvin Harrison Jr. is, and Kyle McCord was a starter every game this year and played pretty well. As a better, I would not really make much of an adjustment, if any, to my Ohio State number because of the bevy of talent they have behind those guys. So they they may have to do it a little bit differently on offense, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be worse, if that makes sense. It does. It does make sense because, I mean, this, this is kind of boiling down that this is still Ohio State in the situation. What, what, what do we think of, of Devin Brown in a game like this? Are there prop bets out there for him, and how should people maybe be viewing what his debut as Ohio State starting quarterback is going to look like? So the last time I checked, which was Wednesday night, I did not – there were no the, – the books are kind of being uh, very cautious with their props with, with Ohio mm-hmm. State. I didn't see any rushing props for Ohio State. I didn't see any – uh, passing props. The only receiving props were like Cade Stover and Xavier Johnson. So I really don't have any props I like in this in this game yet, just because mm. you know it's probably going to be maybe they may be up now uh, as we record this here Thursday around noon. But um, you know maybe Thursday night, Friday morning, they, we get some better props posted. So make sure you follow me on X at Tissue Index, and if I see anything I like, I'll I'll tweet it out. But uh, yeah, so as far as this game from a betting standpoint, though, I'm. I'm pretty much all in on Ohio State here. You know, not to be a homer, but I think this line movement has been crazy. Even at minus three, I still think that's that's way too low. Uh, so I, I'm going to bet mm-hmm. Ohio State minus three, Ohio State minus one and a half in the first half, and the Missouri team total under 21 and a half because, um, you know, the, the whole defense, like you said, maybe other than Tommy Eichenberg expected to play, but Cody Simons played really well this year, so really not a huge drop off there. So I think the defense is going to be great. It seems like they're motivated from the reporting that I've seen, you know, that you guys have done. So, uh, you know, if Ohio state shows up and, and wants to play well in this game, like it sounds like they do. I, I think it's going to be all Ohio state in this game. That is an interesting take. I, I, I think I agree with it. Uh, yeah, stick around for the end of the pod to see what our game picks are, <laughs> but I think I do agree with it. It's you lost. It, it was loud. The amount of guys you lost, and then you look up and you go, "Oh, it's Julian Fleming who was fourth on his team in receiving this year." And that's with all due respect to Julian Fleming, that was just his role on this team. It's your number two running back, which I mean, we've all kind of questioned what the hierarchy should be in that running back room when Dallin Hayden is not playing, and we thought he should have been playing, and on down the list there. Outside of those, and then you lost your starting quarterback, which. I mean, that, that's harsh, obviously. <laughs> that's a harsh thing to lose. But you're also talking about a room that has recruited the position at such a high level that you're maybe expecting the floor, at least, for Devin Brown to be high, even if we don't necessarily see his ceiling. It is bowl season, and as we're recording this on Thursday morning, there's still some – most of the important bowls are still out there to be played, T-Shoe. Are there any of that catch your eye from a betting perspective? So 
to be completely honest, I haven't really spent a ton of time on some of the the lesser bowls, if you will, uh, outside of the playoff, just because I'm yeah. like neck deep in men's and women's college basketball right now. <laughs> so, uh, but but mm. as far as the playoff goes, and I know people don't want to hear this, and I just had an Ohio State fan message me this morning um, on X, you know, asking my thoughts on the the Michigan Alabama game, but literally every. Every single human I've seen that's placing bets on the playoff is betting Alabama. And my number has been correctly high on Michigan all year. I had Michigan minus six and a half mm. against Ohio State. They won by six. I'm going to take Michigan minus one and a half uh, against Alabama. I know that seems like sacrilegious to go against Nick Saban with a month to prepare. But I think everyone's playing that that angle on, on Alabama. And I, I really like Michigan in, in that game. Ooh, I'm, pro- I'm probably getting yeah, fired now. Fans <laughs> <laughs> are not gonna love that. That that's that's fair though. What about the other one, Texas versus Washington? Uh, my number was was more in line with the market on that. I, I think I have Texas minus five, so I, I don't have a strong mm-hmm. I don't have a strong lean there. Um, you know, Washington has just found ways to win, which you give them credit for. I do think on paper. Texas is the the better team, you know, and the line reflects that with, uh, I think the last time I checked, it was four and a half, five. So pretty much in line with, with my projection. So I don't, I don't have a strong play in that game. Okay. Well, that's bowl season. I think obviously the Ohio state one has been weird just because we're trying to figure out who's playing and whatnot, which has greatly impacted the line. But as TSU is telling you, bet Ohio state, bet it often. At least with this bowl game, not going forward. We'll have those conversations later down the line. But at least with the Cotton Bowl at Ohio State, just because I, I think I agree with you, too. It's, I mean, most of their weapons are going to be playing in this game. And I'll, after Luther Burden, I think the next four or five guys you would list, I'll, well, maybe well, Missouri's got some other guys, too. But I, I think if you listed the top five players in this game, four of the five or at least three of the five might be Buckeyes. And I think that's a good thing for Ohio State in this game. So I'm with you in that logic. That'll wrap up this season's worth of betting the Buckeyes, Ohio State playing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday, December 29th. Tishu with us all season long. Listen, he gave some great stuff. And he's been great all year long. Even in the moments where he's been wrong, he could have been right. I live, you know, I live by that. That's, that's even, always Even when my I'm wrong, I, I could have been right. So you know, I'll like, take that. <laughs> I could, yeah. So you might as well stick around. He does this every year for us. It's been so awesome working with him. Get the text, 614-350-3315. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Andrew and Nathan will rejoin me, and we'll give our game picks for Ohio State's final game of the season here on Buckeye Talk. It's time to give our game picks, Ohio State facing Missouri in the Cotton Bowl on Friday night in the New Year's Six Bowl to to end the 2023 season. Ohio State is favored by three and a half points with an over-under of 49. This is the line that just keeps giving, man. I think Ohio State opened up as a six- point favorite at one point and then obviously things change with your quarterback and you lose some guys to the transfer portal and then there was a point where Missouri was the favorite Nathan and now Ohio State going into Friday is the favorite once again what's your game pick for the Cotton Bowl so I'm taking Ohio State by the um, specifically purposeful score of 33 to 24 I thought I'd give a little Devin Brown nod there Um, I've been playing around in this like this this um this area this whole time really and listen this Ohio State until the Michigan game had not allowed more than two touchdowns in any game this season and they did allow three in that game but the the other one that they allowed in that game was when they had a 
seven yard field to try to defend after an interception. And uh, this defense may be almost fully intact for this game. We don't know about Tommy Eikenberg. We know Lathan Ransom, who wasn't there at the end of the season, isn't going to play. We're still waiting to hear for sure whether a couple of other guys will play. JT Tumaloa, Mike Hall, we haven't seen official announcements on that as we're recording this. But I still think this is a team that, as much as I respect Missouri's ability to move the ball, I also respect Ohio State's ability to stop it. And this defense, I think, has been building momentum through bowl prep, through bowl season, when when it became clear that all these guys had like committed to come back and were giving this another run to, and you know, getting guys on the field, like having this whole secondary minus Lathan Ransom available to them is just massive. Like having Jordan Hancock and Denzel Burke and uh, the matchups that they're going to have against Luther Burden, I think it's going to be critical. And on the other side of this, uh, I expect this to be a game where uh, the things we're hearing about Devin Brown are promising, but I also think this is a game where Ohio State is going to have some success on the ground. And with Trevin Henderson back, Dallin Hayden then in support of him, I think this is a game where they can move the ball on the ground, and that can be sort of the stabilizing force that Devin Brown then gets to operate off of. So 33-24 would be a pretty easy cover over that 3.5 and and would be well over the over-under 49. The reason I booed you is because I picked Ohio State to score 33 points. As well, thirty-three <laughs> to twenty, <laughs> Ohio State wins. And listen, we were talking with Devin Brown, Nathan, after their media availability a couple of weeks ago in the Woody, and I was telling him how he was like, "So you don't like the number?" I'm like, "It just hasn't grown on me yet. I think it might grow on me on Friday." And now that he's going to be out there in a more extensive capacity, and I can see it a little bit more. Thirty-three to twenty. That's also covering for Ohio State. That's also the over. It's for a lot of the reasons you pointed out there, Nathan. Some of it is a lot just the defense, right? I think. Ohio State gave up more points to Michigan than it had any team this season. It hadn't given up 17 points to anybody else until the Michigan game. I credit so much of that just being the rivalry in Michigan for the third straight year showing us that they are built to beat Ohio State. And they haven't necessarily been built to win on the playoff stage. We'll see this year when they play Bama on January 1st. But the last three years, Jim Harbaugh has basically shown us that I have built a team who is built to beat Ohio State, and he's done it. I don't know if anybody else has shown that they can do that to Ohio State's defense. I still think this is arguably the best defense in the country. It just played an opponent who studies it every single day. And I don't know if Missouri in 30 days is going to be able to do that and just kind of score. Well, I think they'll move the ball at times. And they've got a guy in Luther Burden who will find the end zone at times as well. Mookie Cooper is another option for them who used to be a Buckeye. But I just think Ohio State's defense gets back to being the defense. We saw the first 11 weeks of the season, regardless of whether or not Tommy Eichenberg does decide to play or not, because I still have a lot of faith in Cody Simon and still Chambers as linebackers. While you're hearing a lot of good things about Devin Brown, man, and Travion Henderson is still Travion Henderson. And the way he was running the ball once he got back from injury, I think they're going to lean on that heavily a lot in this game. And really, I think we might see a similar situation to what we saw in 2019 and that dynamic with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins. And it's not about them being as good as them, I'm saying a lot of those play calls that they were calling that year, they might be able to dust off in a game like this where because it is Devin Brown's first start, you're not going to ask him to throw the ball 40 times. But you can maybe ask Travion Henderson to carry it 20-plus times and Dallin Hayden to get it to you another 10 to 12 times while Xavier Johnson and Devin Brown contribute there as well. So 33 to 20 for me, that's an over and a cover. Andrew, are you going to join us and pick somebody to score 33 points? 
Uh, no, I don't think either team's going to score 30 points. Uh, I'm going to pick Ohio State to win 27-24. I think Missouri's going to cover. This is this is a unique game, and I, I, it's been hard to get a read on it. You mentioned it, Stephen. The line has moved every which way. You know, Ohio State opens six and a half. It moved almost 10 points, and it gets down to Missouri minus three. That's kind of crazy, and, and I think that that's a unique situation where – I think it just kind of tells you that transfer portal season's weird. Ohio State's starting a new quarterback. It's really hard to make kind of uh, make your make your information, make your picks off of this game. Um, so I hope that's close. I think the reason why I go Ohio State close in a game like that is because I think there's going to be struggles. Call it nerves. Call it rhythm call it whatever i think early on i think ohio state isn't just going to come out flying offensively i think there's going to be a little bit of a rhythm period that they got to get into there's going to be some things that they're going to have to work through i would love personally if i were to bet on this game love missouri first quarter first half bets i think that those could play out really well um just because we don't know what devon brown's going to look like and if it takes him a couple of drives to get going we've seen games this year where Four drives for one for one team is the half, you know. So I think you know it takes two or three drives. I think you could be you could be waiting a little bit, but I do think Ohio State's going to win. That's um, not the best offense Ohio State has seen this year, but I think it's the most explosive offense. Um, Missouri was 16th in the country in plays of 30 yards or more. I think they were 18th in plays of 40 yards or more. They're just a different type of offense than Michigan. I think Michigan's offense is better, obviously, but I'm not going to say that Michigan's offense is more explosive than Missouri. So it's going to be a unique challenge, and I think Missouri is going to get some of those chunk plays. I just think that that's what they're kind of built to do. They will kind of do some of those things. Luther Burden will get free once. But Ohio State's going to pull ahead, and they're going to win 27-24. They're not going to cover. Depending on the line, I guess, uh, if it's three and a half, I have uh, Missouri covering, but Ohio State winning, and that would be 51, so that'd be over. So those are our picks. That's three overs, two Ohio State covers, and one Missouri covers. Those are our game picks for Ohio State's Cotton Bowl matchup with Missouri on Friday night to help kick off the New Year's Six Bowls that are going to be taking place throughout the next week and a half or so here. That'll also wrap up this pod. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, go watch, go listen to the rest of the pod, wherever you find podcasts, and go type in Buckeye Talk, man, and get the text, 614-350-3315. We text a lot every day. Well, not every day, but on game days, we text a lot. When we're doing interviews, we text a lot. When we're talking with people and working on bigger stuff, we're texting a lot. We do surveys. I promise you, it's a good time. Two-week free trial. Maybe not in and after that. 614-350-3315. And that'll wrap things up here. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, and for Tyler Shoemaker, I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>